We'll read again one of those verses from Second Kings chapter 6, verse 5. And as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. I know how he did it, because I've done it. This is an axe, this is the handle, this is the head. Back in the day, my folks uh, heated the house with a wood-burning furnace. There was no gas, no electricity for heat, just a wood-burning furnace. So as a result, we've chopped a lot of wood in our day. And uh, this axe had a loose head. You never want to stand downstream to, from a man who's chopping wood because with that, with that uh, loose head, we chop away, chop away, and I, I can visualize it still. The axe head flew off the handle, not into water, but a ways away. So this man had a problem in need of a solution. We can relate to that because we all have problems in need of solutions. We may need to engage one who solves problems. That's what this man did. And one who solves problems is called a solutionist. There are five character traits of strong solutionists. They include one who is ambitious, optimistic, clever, creative, and courageous, in that he's not afraid to take risks. Well, as it turns out, there was a solutionist present. His name was Elisha. We know he was a solutionist because he was a solver of problems. You need only read from Second Kings to uh, understand that. One time, uh, the men of the city uh, told him uh, that the situation of the city was pleasant, and Elisha saw that. He was there also. But the water, we read, was not, and the ground barren. There was something wrong with the water source. And so they went to the solutionist who told them, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And so they did it. I don't know if they, in their attempt to solve a problem, they certainly, uh, to solve a problem, you need to identify what the problem is. Sometimes we get hung up on the symptoms rather than the underlying issue. What is the real problem? Then we need to determine its cause. Well, here they, they followed that procedure and said the problem is there, there's a problem with the water. They didn't say there's a problem with the ground. That wasn't the problem. The problem was what, what was watering the ground. So they identified uh, the, the, the problem and the cause, and then they considered possible solutions. What would you have done if you would have been in the city that day 
you might have proposed, well, let's just change the water source or let's just dig a well. Let's do something different. But there was a solutionist present who had a credible reputation and he diagnosed the problem, understood the cause. So he said, uh, put, bring me a, a new cruise and put salt therein. I wonder if anybody said, well, why, why the new container? Why not just an old container? Or why a container at all? Why not just a handful of salt? But you know, you'll see the, the key to solving problems is obedience. And so they, they did what he said, and he uh, took that uh, salt in the cruise and cast it into the water source, and the waters were purified he said, I have healed these waters. Rather, he said, thus saith the Lord. The Lord solves a problem. The best thing a problem solver or a solutionist can do is point people to the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters, and there shall not from thence any more come death or have barren land. So Elisha had that problem solved. There was another one. <clears throat> this was the, the woman who uh, was a widow with two sons. And she was heavily in debt to the point where the two sons were in jeopardy of being taken away in bondage to satisfy the debt. <clears throat> now that was a problem. How would you have solved that problem? Are you a solutionist? Are you creative? Well, we have to uh, realize the, the problem here was a lack of financial resources, we might have said, well, you may need to get a job. Or I'm not sure, I'm not claiming to be a solutionist here. But I, I will say this, Elisha uh, told her to go and borrow, which is the last thing I would tell someone who is in debt, to refinance unless you can refinance at a lower interest rate. And you can't do that right now. So that's no solution, but it's what uh, some uh, do. They refinance and get a little more so they can go on vacation as well, and the, the, the problem is compounded. But he said, go borrow. Can you imagine the, the widow going to the neighbor and borrowing? You're the neighbor. Someone is heavily in debt. They want to borrow. What will you say? Well, I don't know if you would say it, but I'm sure you would think, well, I'm not sure this is a good credit risk to loan to someone who's heavily in debt already. But she obeyed, she did it. The neighbors uh, cooperated, poured out the oil that she had in the house, sold it, and paid off her debt, and her and her boys lived on the, the remainder for the rest of their lives. So that's the product of a solutionist. Another time, uh, there was uh, a famine in the land that we see in the days of Elisha. And the... Uh, sons of the prophets were ready to, they were hungry, but food was lacking. So Elisha says, put on a pot uh, of soup. Well, some went out and they gathered uh, what they did not know was uh, some certainly distasteful and perhaps uh, poisonous in ingredients to throw into the pot. They boiled it for a while, poured it out of the soup, and some uh, one said, alas, there's death in the soup. I don't know if there was literally death or if it was just a horrible meal being uh, being offered, but uh, either way, <clears throat> they had, that was their problem. So what, what would you have done? 
well, we know what he did. He said, go bring me some meal. And he, he told them to toss that in there, into that horrible-tasting soup, and potentially a death-laden soup. I think I would have started over, or at least taken out the, the ingredients, but they would have been boiled in. So this is not a typical solution that you would do if it's a horrible meal. Just don't fix it again. But they threw in the meal, and sure enough, it was cast into the pot, and Elijah said, pour out to the people that they may eat, and there was no more harm in the pot, the, the, uh, the Bible says. So what was distasteful was suddenly delicious, and they were satisfied and happy to have that meal. Problems, 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 but Elisha was a solutionist. He always uh, seemed to have the answer. The, the armies were coming to destroy the kings of Israel and Judah, they didn't know what to do. Elisha's solution was dig ditches. Why well, it seems unrelated to the battle that was about to be at hand, but it solved the problem because of what happened next. And another problem was uh, uh, leprosy of Naaman. You know that one well. The little solution: dip in Jordan seven times. Didn't even have the uh, the dignity to say that to Naaman himself. He just sent a servant out. Uh, there was objection on a part of Naaman to begin with, but ultimately he, he obeyed uh, the word of the Lord and the solution was found. Every time uh, obedience is integral in seeing the solution or the right outcome of a problem. Well, in this case, uh, the axe head being lost in the water was not the original problem. You heard in the reading, the original problem was, uh, remember, identify the problem. The problem was we don't like where we live. And so uh, the cause of the problem uh, is not altogether clear, but uh, it, it was too confining, we know that. The place is too straight for us, too restrictive. Uh, perhaps uh, the neighbors were not uh, cooperative or just too crowded and wanted to live out in the country. Uh, either way, they could have uh, evaluated different decisions uh, to make, potential decisions. One would be, to, well, just stay put and you live with it best you can. Uh, another uh, would be to relocate the neighbors. Well, that's impractical. We can't even do that. Uh, and, and the third is relocate ourselves, which is what they decided to do, to do. So they implemented this proposed solution. And the final step in problem solving is to measure the outcome. Did it solve the problem? The risk is in solving a problem, the potential exists to create another problem and even a worse problem. So we must look ahead. If we're trying to solve a problem, uh, con consider the outcome. And if the outcome of your solution is going to put you in a worse position than where you started, you better back up and reevaluate your proposed solution. Well, in this case, they, they lost the ax head and they could not imagine uh, how to, to solve that. And that is the fact that proposed solutions uh, carry the risk of unintended consequences, which basically is, well, it could go either way. It can be unforeseen uh, damage or, or uh, further problems. It, it can also be unforeseen consequences, can also be unforeseen blessings or benefits. But in this case, the, the outcome was not so good, and the options were not so good. The, the axe head was borrowed. Had it been his own, 
maybe no problem. Just move on without it. It, it seems like in the Jordan River can be anywhere from 50 to 200 feet deep. <clears throat> so it seems like he couldn't, uh, couldn't see it. <clears throat> because eventually the, the prophet uh, asked him, where, well, where did you lose it? Where is it? Well, somewhere over in that vicinity. So he uh, could have left it, but it was borrowed. Maybe he had used it as a boy, inherited it from his dad. It had sentimental value. So the unintended consequence would be the, the damage done to the lender and perhaps to those who knew the lender and said, so-and-so borrowed my, my axe and, and never returned it. Make sure you don't uh, loan anything to him again. His damage to credibility. So that was a consequence that he could not have, have predicted. So he went to the solutionists. In this case, uh, Elisha. And Elisha said, take down a stick and you know, take a stick and cut it down. Well, it sure would have been handy to have his axe right about then, wouldn't it have been? But he didn't have it, so perhaps he borrowed another axe. And uh, be careful with that now. Anyway, he cut down the stick, threw it into the, into the water, and uh, sure enough, that uh, axe head, this, this axe head is, is five pounds. And actually the handle is a little too short for that weight. You should multiply the pound times 10 and convert that to inches. It should be about 50 inches long, and it's only 36 inches long. So this particular axe, by the time you carry it out to the job, you're worn out and need to take a break already. So there's a risk in that too. But, but either way, it didn't just uh, float to the top, which defies the, the uh, if I would have had a, a perfect object lesson, I would have put a, an aquarium or something here so you could see. And, and you tell me if that ax head would, would float to the top. Of course it wouldn't, but it did not just float, it swam. Uh, we see, uh, he, he cut down the stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Wow. I'd like to have seen that. But it's in my head already, in yours too. You can imagine it. Swam right to the shore of that deep water because he said, uh, therefore said he, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. Problem solved. That's, that's what you call a solutionist. Well, our problems can be greater than that. The greatest problem faced by the human race is sin. Its cause, disobedience. It began in the garden. The willful defiance of God's instructions. There were unintended consequences. There was collateral damage. That's what happens with sin. We are the collateral damage of disobedience that occurred in the Garden of Eden because we deal with uh, the human condition. Uh, to this day, that is a product of that disobedience way back there centuries ago. Adam and Eve did not foresee that. They did not consider what it would do to their children or grandchildren or descendants down through uh, the ages, but that was the um, consequence of disobedience, and that is the problem. Remember, you must identify the problem. 
determine its cause. We can't blame it on Adam and Eve altogether because we each uh, uh, grew up and came to an age of accountability where we made decisions or we make decisions. And the decisions we make have consequences. So more than a solutionist, we need a savior. A solutionist will tell you how you can solve your problem. A savior will take your problem and remedy it himself. That's what Jesus does. He's our savior and he's the one we need. Without a solutionist, we solve our own problem. With a savior, he solves it. Sin or disobedience is self-centered. A savior is Christ-centered. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and to the solution, we see that our problems can be dissipated to a large degree. We're still part of the human race, so challenges will still exist, but at least we can have a power over the obedience or disobedience or sin question. Disobedience sinks us to the bottom. Obedience will lift us up and help us to walk the way God intended us to walk. I didn't show you the, the rust on this, this axe head, but it, it, it is there and it reminds me of, of sin and disobedience, which are corrosive by nature. And they progressively deteriorate even iron over a period of time. And the integrity of it will eventually be compromised. So it is with sin. It's, it, it does not elevate you. It, it takes you down. It does not improve your condition. It causes your condition to digress. Most uh, problems... We can deal with or they, they go away. But the sin problem, the disobedient problem, re, uh, risks permanent and irreparable damage. We must look to the Savior. We must trust in Jesus. We manage uh, the symptoms of sin. And, and that's what uh, our society does, focuses on the symptoms of sins. Uh, and those can be... Um, managed with varying degrees of success. But until we hone in on the cause, we, we will not have true success or peace or contentment or happiness. So sin is, is destructive, but salvation is restorative. I, I think I could, I could restore this axe head to be uh, shiny, and I do that based upon the fact that we had a, and still have a Dutch oven, an iron dust Dutch oven that we've had for maybe 40 years. Actually, we bought it originally because we were, we used to go out and go camping with the tent and all that into the wilderness. It was a lot of fun until, until it wasn't anymore and we didn't want to do it anymore. But we kept that Dutch oven. To make well, in, in camping, anything in it tastes good. Uh, but um, over the years, we've made chili in it and then didn't use it for a number of years. And I pulled it out maybe five years ago and, and looked at it, and it was rusty, uh, kind of corroded and all that. 
I did a little research and found out if I could, I would soak it in a equal parts white vinegar and water. And I did that, I think, for a day or so. And then took a, 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 a wire brush and um, steel wool and scratched it about and did that maybe that process two or three times. It didn't take that long, really. It didn't, um, except for the soaking part, but it did the soaking. I just picked it up afterward <clears throat> and then started over again. But uh, amazingly, then it was clean, just like uh, new after I... Uh, put flax oil on it, turned it upside down, baked it in the oven at 450, as I recall, for some period of time, and pulled it out. If I would have thought ahead, I would have brought it to you today, and you would have thought, well, you are a solutionist. You would have called me that. <laughs> but the remedy for sin, yeah, you, can, you can scrub all you want. You can dress it up, put it in a tux, tuxedo or a, a wedding gown or whatever. It's like the white sepulcher of the, of Jesus' day with the Pharisees. Why well, it was, looked beautiful on the outside, but within was full of dead men's bones. It, it takes, it takes more, but we're thankful that there is a balm in Gilead. There's healing there it, it, through the Savior, through Jesus. Most decisions carry unintended consequences. Choices have consequences. We know that. Your life is a product of your choices. You're still living. You're still making choices. So the outcome of your life will be the product of the choices you are making today. You are free to make your own choices. You've heard this, but you're not free to determine the outcome or the consequences. God gave us a free will. One thing about that axe head, it had no moral quality. It had no will of its own. It's just that God said, swim, and it swam. Oh, that God could control the human uh, will like that, but he chooses not to. He doesn't want axe heads to praise him. He wants human beings that have uh, submitted their lives to him and determined that they were going to live for God and God only. That's what he's after. So the praise that comes out of uh, that individual is, is consequential uh, to the Lord. The outcome, whether positive or negative, outlives the process that produced it. So the cause of sin was in the garden. By that decision that was made, the outcome, the human condition that we all deal with, far has far outlived the process that took place in the garden. But so it is with salvation. The, the outcome of a person who is saved, who determines I'm going to live for God, far outlives the, the process that occurred when they were under a Holy Ghost conviction and resisted the Spirit of God and finally resented and got saved. Oh, the outcome far outlives that, that period of time. So unintended consequences include unseen harm or unaccompanied blessings. Just as uh, disobedience inflicts collateral damage, so obedience brings unexpected blessings. And you know what collateral damage is? We see it 
in in the war where the enemy uh, in an attempt to destroy the enemy innocent civilians uh, are are also slain that's collateral damage well so it is with sin we see again that we are collateral damage of the human condition that was brought about by the fall but sitting here is an unexpected blessing they did not envision back in 1974 when i prayed through and got saved that i would have the privilege of sitting in the most beautiful place on the planet who could have who could have seen that had it been described to me i would not have known what it meant like Brother Dave Green's testimony Friday night where he said, it's not lost on me that people all over the world would love to just sit occasionally where I sit on this platform and do what I do for God. That's an unexpected blessing. He didn't know that when he was a 10-year-old. Twice as old as Sister Rosie, he said. He could not have envisioned it. That's... that's uh, an unintended consequence. All he wanted to do was get saved. He got saved and didn't know what would come with it. Ah, the, the victory that comes with it. Well, Isaiah identifies the problem. He also describes in a few short words uh, alternatives with outcomes and the opportunity to choose the solution or the Savior uh, when he said, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. If you have a sin problem, we present a Savior. More than a solutionist, we present a Savior. He is the one who can wash away sin and stain, give you a hope of heaven and an untold future that's full of blessings and peace and contentment as you deal with the human condition through life. You always have the assurance, at least I'm right with God. At least I'm ready for the sound of the trumpet. At least I have a hope of heaven. If you lack that, go to the problem solver. Go to Jesus this morning.